0: this topic of salvation and we looked at a lot of scriptures and kind of came away from some conclusions being the idea that Jesus is who we all need. Like salvation cannot exist apart from Jesus. We looked at this idea that it is for everyone. Like Jesus came so that everyone could receive this salvation. We also saw that there is a response from us, the idea that we need to have a faith or a belief in him. There's a repentance that comes that I'm not going to live my life just my way. I'm listening to him. And there's even a confession saying, God, you are who, I be- who you say you are. And so as we looked at that and look at this week's sermon, I want you to again to be reminded that this is not a bashing of other views or even other interpretations. Again, I know there's even multiple views on this, even within this room or watching online. But the purpose of these two sermons is to open up the Word of God and to see what it says, to make sure we're not just living by presuppositions that maybe someone has taught us this or we've grabbed a hold of this and it's not true. So what is it that the Word of God says? And so if you didn't see last week's, I'd encourage you to go to YouTube or go to our website to be able just to, to see that as a foundation for them this week's sermon. So this week we're talking about baptism. And this is one that has even more opinions about it based on just scripture. Um, But a few years ago, I read a book called Five Views of Baptism. And it was really helpful because people would do kind of um, a debate style. They would then talk about this is why I believe what I do. And then they'd come back and say when other people said this is what I believe, they would say this is why I don't believe that. So it was helpful just to understand different points of view on this idea of baptism. And so here are five main views of what baptism is. Some people feel like it is a symbol. Like it is a symbol of Christ's saving work, that it is a demonstration of what God has done in your life. And when you're baptized, it is this initiation into the church. And so some people would say baptism is important, but it's a symbol of what God's doing. There are some people that would tell you that baptism is a symbol, but there's actually two baptisms. There's the water baptism, the one that you receive new life for those who repent and believe. But then there's also a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is different. And somehow you then are bestowed um, the spirits of God or the gifts of God at that moment. And so some people would tell you that there are two baptisms. Some people would tell you that baptism is a visible sign of the inward grace that you're experiencing. So it's not just a symbol. It's more important than that. Like God is working in you at that moment, but it's not so far as to say it's part of salvation. It's somewhere in the middle there. Some people would tell you that baptism is a response Like, God has saved me, and so I am choosing to be baptized as a response to the work that he has done in me. And then the fifth uh, opinion is that baptism is the occasion of salvation for the believer. Like, God works through baptism to bring salvation to someone. Now, all five of those views have scriptures to back it up. Like people aren't just going, I think I'm going to make up a belief and like believe it. Like there are scriptures that they can pull and say, this is why I believe what I do. And so today we're going to look at all of the verses and try to see what does it all say? So that way we can understand scripture. But before I jump into individual verses, I want to tell you this about baptism. The word, uh, the English word baptize is actually a transliteration. And maybe you hear that word and you're like, that's a big word. I don't know what it means, okay? Translation is when you take a word and the meaning and then you give it a new word in the new language. That way you understand this word is the exact same thing as this word. A translation or a transliteration means that here is this word in whatever language. I'm switching languages, but instead of working about the meaning, I'm just using different letters to understand the word. And that may not make a sense until I tell you this. The Greek word for baptize is baptizo all right, baptizo. And so instead of like telling us what the meaning is, they made the English word baptize. That's a transliteration instead of a translation. So what does the Greek word baptizo actually mean? It means to immerse, to dunk, to plunge, or to dip. And so if they were translating baptize instead of just using the word baptize, they would say plunge or immerse or something like that. When you look at scripture, we see that Jesus was immersed, like it used that word baptizo, but then also he came up out of the water. When you look at um, an Ethiopian eunuch in chapter eight of Acts, we see that he was immersed. It says he went down into the water. Most of our texts don't explain it because they know that the word baptizo means the idea of dunked, immersed. And so when you see that someone was baptized, that's what they were. In fact, sprinkling or pouring didn't become an official alternative mode of baptism until the year 1311. Like that's quite a ways after when Jesus rose from the dead. Now that's not the first time that it was done. We do have records as far back as the year 251 of someone starting to do this sprinkling thing, but that's even 200 years after Jesus. Now those numbers can just sound like big numbers. Imagine an event happening back in 1800. Okay? So, 1800. And so, since 1800 until today, they have done something a certain way, but now this year is when we change that. Like, that's about 251 years, kind of just the difference. And so, I just want you to understand, when we in the Christian church choose to immerse someone with baptism, the reason is because of the wording and because what we see done in the early church right off the bat. Okay? And so... I also now want to look at specific verses about baptism. And again, like last week, it's a, a this is a sermon that you're not going to be able to turn to every single verse because there are so many of them. Um, they are in the app right after one another. You can take notes and go back and look at them again. And just like last time, there are certain verses that will be used multiple times because of the emphasis we are looking at when we're trying to come up with a conclusion. Okay? So having said that, let's jump into these verses. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus speaking at the Great Commission right before he goes up to heaven. And it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, we see at Pentecost, this is the first big sermon since Jesus has gone back up into heaven. And so here's what happens. It says, when the people heard this, which is the message of Jesus, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, verses 36 and 38, we see this Ethiopian eunuch that I mentioned just a while ago. And it says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, we read about the Samaritans and they're listening to the message and it says, but when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. In Acts chapter 9, verse 18, we read about Saul who later becomes Paul and immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. In Acts chapter 10, verse 48, we're reading about Peter and he's at Cornelius' house and Cornelius' family and he's speaking of, of Jesus and it says, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. In Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, it says, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. In Acts chapter 16, verse 33, we read about a jailer and his family, and this is after midnight, and they're with Paul and Silas. And it says, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and wash their wounds then immediately he and all his household were baptized so looking at all those verses what is a conclusion that we could come up with here's the baseline that i want to start with the conclusion number 1 is this that baptism is important Okay, I don't want to draw any more from it. I just want you to understand, looking at these verses, baptism is something that is important. It is one of the last things Jesus tells us to do before he goes back up into heaven. And then all throughout the book of Acts, we read about it. And this is the beginning of the church and what God felt we needed to know. And so you see that this very first sermon about Jesus and the response of what do we need to do? 3,000 people choose to be baptized at that moment throughout the book of Acts, you see people of different heritage hearing the message and they're baptized quickly, if not immediately. And it didn't matter what time of the day it was. And it didn't matter who was there. You see, baptism is more than just a good work, something that we should do through scripture. We can conclude that it is something that is very important. And I will tell you this fact that baptism is important is again, one of those things that all denominations believe. Okay? We all still share that baptism is something important. It's just that the meaning of baptism or the mode of baptism is different between how we all believe. Okay? So, baptism important. Let's keep reading. In John chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus said, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, "'Repent and be baptized every one of you "'in the name of Jesus Christ "'for the forgiveness of your sins, "'and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.'" In Acts chapter 9, verse 17 and 18, "'Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. "'Placing his hands on Saul, he said, "'Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, "'who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, "'has sent me so that you may see again "'and be filled with the Holy Spirit.'" And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, in talking about spiritual gifts, it says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, for we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greek, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And even our last verse, Matthew three sixteen and 17, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well-pleased." Here's the conclusion from all of those verses. It's that a person receives the Holy Spirit at their baptism. A person receives the Holy Spirit at their baptism. Now, in the Old Testament, people were baptized, but that was a baptism of repentance. But even Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when, people, or when Peter is talking to people, and they're like, what is it we need to do? He says, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Even Paul Like in this moment, before Ananias showed up, he still needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so as soon as these scales fell from his eyes, his first act of response was being baptized. You see, the text also tells us there's only one Spirit. He may give us different gifts, but there's only one Spirit. And with that, there's only one baptism. There's not a baptism of water and a baptism of the Holy Spirit separately There's one baptism, and that is when the indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, not before or not after. Now, I will tell you this, all throughout the Old Testament, you can see the Spirit of God coming in people. There are times He comes into a king and helps them rule, and then He steps out and things. So God still can choose to do that. He can go in and out. But it seems that the Holy Spirit is the seal on a believer in the New Testament, and that He enters a person permanently at baptism. Let's keep reading Scripture. John chapter three, verses three through five. It says Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Well, surely they cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. In Romans 6, 4, it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism, in death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Colossians 2:11 through 13 In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. In Galatians 3.27, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. In Titus three 4 through 6 But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, conclusion number three, looking at those verses, is this, that baptism brings regeneration. That's a big word, the idea of new life, where we are now clothed with Christ, You see, when you're baptized, that sinful nature is now not what you choose to live for anymore. We die to ourselves and we are raised to new life in Christ. In fact, other scriptures talk about how we are now a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so we are united with him in his death at baptism so that we also might be united with him in his resurrection. In fact, baptism by immersion is this huge symbol of that whole point that I am dying to myself as I go under the water, and I am coming back to new life. And at our baptism, we put on Christ so that God doesn't just see us, but He sees the righteousness of Jesus through us. In fact, that Galatians passage, it doesn't say, well, you who believed, like you have clothed yourselves with Christ. It didn't say you who repented have clothed yourselves with Christ. It didn't say you who have confessed have clothed yourself with Christ. It said you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with him. I would tell you with that verse, it helps us to understand that baptism is something that's pretty important. It's not just meant to be pushed to the side. Let's look at two more verses for the next conclusion. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, "'Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ.'" for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 22, 16, it says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And here's the conclusion I would tell you, that baptism offers forgiveness of sins. Like, it appears that through the act of baptism, we receive forgiveness of sins. Now, as I say that, you need to remember, this act is still based on the sacrifice of Jesus, okay? It's not just taking a bath that now I am forgiven. It is based off of Jesus. But these two verses tell us that baptism is part of this forgiveness process. And so, as you are baptized, you receive freedom from guilt and from sins. Those sins, they are wiped clean. You are given a new slate. And man, sometimes the longer that we're a Christian... We can minimize that can kind of be like, yeah, 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 I get it. Like Jesus forgave me. I'm glad of that. But we can forget like maybe the guilt we were holding or the, or just uh, the weight we were carrying when we were trying to do it on our own, trying to search for any other thing to fix us. But forgiveness, man, it is huge, especially when we see the consequences of our sin. But we often just see the physical side, not even the spiritual side. The Bible says you and I, we were dead to sin or we were dead in sin. And it seems that baptism is the time at which a person's sins are forgiven. And so I would ask you, do you think someone can be saved, but not forgiven at the same time? Like, I have a tough time seeing that. To me, when I look at Scripture, it looks like it's a package thing. Here's one other quick note I would tell you, because some people who don't come to this conclusion will look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and they'll say, you're interpreting it wrong. What it should say is you should be baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins instead of you should be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. I would tell you, if that is what the text said, I would have no problem telling you that from stage, but I can't do that because the Greek word ice is used over 1,700 times in the New Testament, and every single time that it is used, it implies a movement towards something. Something not because of something. And so we can't just use that word and say, well, it means this in, this in this instance when every other time it means something else. And so again, are we going to the text with our presuppositions or what the text tells us? Here's the next section about baptism. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, it says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. In 1 Peter 3.21, it's talking about Noah and the flood. And he says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then in Titus 3.5-7, it says, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And here's conclusion number five, that baptism is needed for salvation. It is part of this process. Now, baptism, it is a tool that God uses to save us. If you ask me why, I can't tell you why. Like, I understand the imagery of dying to myself and coming back up, but I also understand that if God said, This is what it takes to be baptized, to properly respond, whatever He said, I am going to choose to obey Him. And if you're someone that says, Well, I think it's important, but I don't think that it's part of salvation, what do you do with these verses that talk about it's through the washing of rebirth, or whoever is baptized will be saved, or baptism now saves you? Like, those are three pretty bold statements, and they were written by Peter. And Paul and Jesus, those are pretty credible speakers. And I would tell you, At this point right here that can be argued by people, I think this is why we see people immediately get baptized throughout the book of Acts. When they hear the message of Jesus, what is it I need to do? This is part of the process. So 3,000 are immediately baptized. It's the middle of the night. It doesn't matter. This is what I want. No one's around to celebrate with me. It doesn't matter. I am wanting to do this. In fact, every time you read about baptism in the New Testament, it is connected to salvation. There is no other reason for baptism. Here's the sixth area that we're looking at, the final area. In John 3, 3 through 5, it says Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. In 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Here's the sixth conclusion, that baptism allows a person to enter into the kingdom of God. Like here's Nicodemus. He understood the Old Testament scripture. And here he's being taught by Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. He speaks about the kingdom of God. Yes, futuristic, but also right now. And he says, you cannot enter that unless you are born again, unless you are baptized. There's a direct link to baptism and being part of the body of Christ, which is the visible church that we can see right now. And baptism allows you to become an heir of Jesus. So you get to receive the inheritance that he has promised Now, there's a whole lot of verses right there about baptism. And I think if you look at all of them, not leaving any of them out, here is an accurate interpretation of all those verses. That the ultimate conclusion is this. A person is saved by grace through faith in, in baptism for good works. Let me say that again. A person is saved by grace through faith in baptism for good works. You start out with grace it has to be about Jesus. None of those other things matter if you're not choosing to accept the grace that Jesus has given us. And so faith is this idea that we believe there is a response to who he is. And then in baptism, this moment that marks that I get to enter the kingdom, I receive the Holy Spirit. I am now forgiven of my sins. I now have this new life. And then in four good works. We're not going to talk about that a lot, but it's not that you're saved by your good works. Not, hey, I did A, B, and C, so now God loves me more. That's not what it is. Instead, God wants us now to tell other people about his love. He wants us to love other people. We are his hands and feet to get this message of who he is and how much he cares for them. Now, I'll tell you, there's a bunch of differing viewpoints on baptism that I told you already and certain oppositions to this conclusion. And so sometimes people will say, well, this is what I think. So let me tell you just five of those oppositions real quick and what my answer would be to those. Here's the first. Sometimes people will say, I understand what you're saying, but baptism, I just don't think it's necessity for salvation because there are scriptures that don't mention baptism when it talks about salvation. Like you only have to believe or you only have to call on his name. It doesn't mention baptism in that verse. So here's what I would say to that. First of all, how do you deal with the verses that do talk about baptism as being part of the salvation? Like, do you just sweep those to the side? Or then my second question is this, all those verses that you talk about, not all of them mention believing as being part of what you need to be saved. Sometimes it says you need to repent and be saved or call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And so not every one of those verses is going to have everything there, but I believe that it is a package deal. And Mark 16, 16, sometimes people will say this verse, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And they say, see, look at that second part. There was no baptism there. And so I would just tell you, if I'm giving you instructions to watch a television program, I might tell you, turn on the television and turn to channel five. But if you don't turn on the channel or turn on the television, you're not going to get to watch the program. Like I never said, if you don't turn to channel five, but it's a given. If you don't turn on the television, you can't turn to channel five. If I am not believing in Jesus, then baptism means nothing. Okay? So there has to be this belief. And that's what I would tell you. In fact, again, again, if I think it's only about believing and praying to God, what do you do with the fact that Paul, for three days, he is praying. And it says when Ananias comes, he's like, you need to have your sins washed away. That hasn't happened yet. I would think that if praying is all I need to do to Jesus, that Paul would have been good at this point. And so when I step back and try to look at all the verses together, this is the conclusion that I come up with. Sometimes people will use this argument or this debate in it. And it's not as often used, but some people will say, you know what? Some of those verses that you use about baptism, like that's not really what water means in those verses. Okay. They'll say that the washing with water or being born of water actually refers to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Without getting really deeply into this, can I just tell you there are 80 times that the word water is used in the New Testament. Then sometimes it deals with like a lake or something like that. Sometimes though, it is very clear. This is baptism. Sometimes it's implied. This is baptism. There are only three verses that you could kind of decide or debate whether this means baptism or not. And so if you're going to stake your whole foundation about, well, the, the verses that talk about water really don't mean baptism. It's not a very firm foundation to build your argument upon. And so we can talk more about that, but most people don't use that argument, but I want you to know about that, that that's where I would come from. Here's the third thing. Sometimes people will tell you, I get that you say that the Holy Spirit comes at baptism, but what about the times in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes before it or the Holy Spirit comes after it? What do you do with that? And so that happens four times in the book of Acts. Two times it comes beforehand. One is at the day of Pentecost, right after that very, I mean, it's that first sermon about this is what you need to know. The other time it is with Cornelius, who is the very first Gentile who is choosing to believe in Jesus after the resurrection. And my opinion is that God uses those moments to bring the Holy Spirit before to kind of wake people up, to say, this is something big that is happening. The two times that the Holy Spirit comes afterwards, one of those is with the Ephesians, and you even read in there, oh, they were baptized with the baptism of John. It's not the same baptism. The other is with the Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. They looked at them, they're like, you're just a half-Jew, you're not important, and I think that God held that out so that Peter and John, these pillars of the new, you know, way, as they're coming down, would have to see that Jesus has accepted them, and now the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now, again, could God do whatever he wanted? He absolutely could. But that's my harmonization of things. I firmly believe God can send his spirit to anyone before he stays inside of you. And I also believe he comes to act in us even after we've received him. Sometimes you're part of a worship service and you know the Holy Spirit is working in you, even though you've had the Holy Spirit up to this point. Or sometimes he may even give you a new gift to do something that you've never done up to this point, but it doesn't mean that he hasn't lived with you already. And so I would tell you that I believe that the total, and dwelling of the Spirit comes at baptism from that time on. The fourth argument, sometimes people will tell me, I really like baptism, but I think that it's a work, and we're not saved by works, so it's not part of the salvation process. I would tell you that baptism cannot be classified as a work. Like, yes, we choose to be baptized. We choose to be immersed, get dunked, but think about this. Even in the baptism process, you're not the one doing the work. Someone else is doing that. And at baptism, you are not the one who is doing the saving. God is the one who is saving you. And so at baptism, we are accepting a promise from God. It's not a whole bunch more rules. We are trusting him that he is the one who saves us. Baptism is not a work. Here's the fifth thing. Sometimes people will go, but what about these what-if scenarios? Like I hear your stance on baptism, and that's when salvation occurs. But what about the person who dies planning to be baptized, but they weren't able to? Or what about the person who accepts Jesus on their deathbed, but is not able to be baptized? What about the thief on the cross? What about someone who wasn't taught about baptism? Man, they love Jesus. What do you do with that? My first answer is the thief on the cross, the New Testament covenant hadn't started yet. Like Jesus has not died yet to be able to have that. He's in the process of that, but that's where I would tell you in that aspect. All those other things, very humbly, I would tell you that God is bigger than me. I would tell you that God is bigger than me, that He sees people's hearts, He knows their intentions, and He knows whether they are truly being obedient or not. Like, I often talk about the idea of baptism being kind of like a wedding, that when I choose Jesus, I'm like, Jesus, I want to follow you. That is like me getting engaged. And when I am being baptized, that is the total commitment. I am all in from that point. And if I were to get engaged to my my wife, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but I die before I'm getting married, everyone knows what my intention was. But if I keep putting off the wedding, I'm putting it off. I'm putting it off. I'm putting it off. People also know that as well. Can I tell you, God knows what your intention is. Are you trying to seek Him, or are you putting Him off, putting Him off, putting Him off? And I would tell you that that's still my opinion based on Scripture, but if I'm wrong, can I also tell you this, that God is the perfect judge? Like, sometimes we think we understand fairness, or we're like, this is fair, this is not fair, but God ultimately knows what is true, and what is fair, and His lens is perfect. Here's what I would tell you about the what-ifs. Most of the time, when people talk about a what-if, It's really just looking for an excuse not to be obedient. Okay, I'm not on my deathbed, so that doesn't mean anything for me right now, but I'm looking for a loophole or a reason why I don't have to be obedient. And so God, again, knows what our intentions are. And so, having said all that, and even the importance of baptism, do I think there's gonna be people in heaven that aren't baptized? I do, because again, God is bigger than me, and I'm not one to argue someone's personal experiences saying, man, I feel like I'm saved even though I've never been baptized. Do I think also that there will be people in heaven or people that were baptized that won't be in heaven? I do. Because again, the baptism itself does not save. There has to be faith that is accompanying that. And some people just do it because everyone else is doing it, but their heart has never been saying, Jesus, you are now my Savior. You are now my Lord. Now, this is kind of deep, but I would tell you Paul tells Timothy to be someone who correctly handles the word of truth. And so as we do this sermon, that's my desire to look at text and say, this is the conclusion that I think God wants us to know. So under normal circumstances, I believe the Bible teaches a person is saved by grace through faith in baptism for good works. But even if you're someone that doesn't think that salvation happens at baptism, and that's okay if you have baptism or scripture to back up that, my question is: if you've never been baptized, why not? Because if you do look at scripture, even if you don't think it's part of salvation, it is one of the very first responses that we are called to do. That's why I don't have to argue with you, okay? If you believe, then why don't you be baptized? It's not something that we do because we're legalistic. It is because we're being obedient. And many people can tell you about the change that God has done in their lives since that moment. And I would tell you that even if there's the smallest chance that salvation is connected to baptism and you haven't done it, do you really want to take that chance? Do you really wanna let pride win out? I'm just not gonna do this for whatever reason as opposed to submitting to what he wants you to do. This topic of salvation that we've looked at the last two weeks, we all need Jesus. We need his forgiveness. We need to be made new, not just fixed a little bit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We need to be part of his kingdom, which includes but is not limited to the visible church. And we need the assurance that we are saved. And my what I would tell you is if you have never given your life to him, if you have never placed your faith in him, if you have never said, I believe, if you've never let your actions show the repentance, if you have never been been baptized, then let me encourage you, do not put it off and do it today as part of this service. Man, both services so far, we've had people respond saying, I am going to do this. I am listening to what God wants me to do and don't be any different. In fact, I think about when you and I go to a swimming pool, there's two ways that you get in. One, you slowly wade in, especially if it's kind of cold. You're kind of like making the faces of, oh, I don't like that water, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And you finally get to the point where then you're just going under and you're all completely immersed. And there's some times when you're like, okay, I'm not going to go through that pain. I'm just jumping straight in and just doing it all at once. Some of you in your walk with Jesus have kind of been waiting in closer and closer and closer. And today's the day. Like, I am ready to go all in. Some of you are still relatively new and listening to this, but you hear the message of salvation. You're like, that is what I need. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. And you're ready to jump in. You're like, God, I need you today. Either way, I would tell you that God's salvation is right there for you. And I would say, don't put it off. Don't do it just because someone else is doing it. But if you know the Spirit is leading you to respond to him in baptism, then I would encourage you to do this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue singing. And if you want to make that decision, please go back to the prayer room and then they're going to help you get ready to go into the baptistry. Even if you didn't bring clothes, we've got that. Don't let any excuse keep you away from Jesus. In fact, I'm heading to the baptistry right now. And so if you need to be there, I want to meet you there. Let's stand and sing.